knowledge changes drastically, and the acceptance of Christianity changes the life of the Sawi village. And the Sawi people live in relative peace within their families and their neighbors in the neighboring villages. And any time an offense arises, someone will plead God's peace child and forgiveness follows. Isn't that a cool story? What a, what a great analogy of the truth that we're going to be looking at here today from, from God's Word, from Scripture. If you ever get a chance to read that book, Peace Child, I would highly recommend it. It's an amazing story. Had me in tears many days over and over as I read through how God worked through the Richardsons amongst this people group who had never heard the name of Jesus. So we see here from Luke chapter 1 that Jesus is born into this dark world He's born to guide his people into the way of peace. But as we continue on in the Christmas story and we come to Luke chapter 2, we come to the scene where an angel appears to the shepherds. And then it says a multitude or a host of angels appear to the shepherds in the field while Jesus is being born in Bethlehem. And Luke 2.14 says this, this is the angels talking to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what we see here is that although the offer of peace is made to all people, the only people who will actually experience this peace that Jesus has come to bring is those upon whom God is pleased. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 12, Jesus makes it very clear that he did not come to bring peace to everyone. He, he says in Luke 12 that even amongst, in, in and amongst families, there will be some that will experience this peace and others who won't. So it's only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King who will experience this peace that Jesus has come to guide his people in the way of. Because as we see, this peace is for those amongst whom God is pleased. In Hebrews 11:6 makes it very clear that only by faith in Jesus Christ is he pleased. Without faith in Jesus Christ, God is not pleased. So this peace comes to God's people, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King. And this truth is not just a truth that we find in the New Testament, but it was also prophesied in the Old Testament, and we find in um, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, I think Oliver read this earlier as they were lighting the candle, this same truth that Jesus came to guide his people into the way of peace. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read verse 2, and then I want to jump ahead and read verses 6 and 7. So Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Does that how, is that how we feel right now? It, doesn't it feel like in some ways there's a deep darkness that has come over our land? And it says, on them a light has shone, and on the us, we get to experience that same light that showed on them. 
Let's jump ahead to verse 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be among be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Prophesying to a day in the future in his second coming. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So we see here God's kingdom. Jesus sitting on the throne ruling and reigning over his people, ruling and reigning with righteousness and in justice and in peace. So this is describing God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's complete righteousness, complete justice. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> Amen. Do we need justice? Yes. Do we need righteousness? But it doesn't stop there. God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace, it says here. In fact, in Colossians 1, this won't come up on the board, but it, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says to those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and King, they have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So if you're out there and you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of of Jesus Christ, and he now is the one ruling and reigning over your life. In fact, Jesus, um, as he was teaching his disciples and as he was preaching to the people in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, we find in Matthew 5 that as he's teaching the people about what life looks like in his kingdom, one of the things he tells them in Matthew 5 is, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. What, what an amazing title to put on somebody. Be called the son of God or the daughter of God. But that is for those living under Christ's rule and reign in their life. And he said, you will receive blessings as those who are peacemakers living in God's kingdom. And we have that opportunity today. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have that opportunity to let God rule and reign in our lives. We get to be the peacemakers. We get to be blessed in that way. We're called sons and daughters of God. So there's three different ways I want to look at, at how Jesus coming guides us in the way of peace. And the first one, and the one I believe that is most important, because out of this everything else flows, is that His coming guides us in the way of peace with God. In fact, peace with God is our greatest need in life. Apart from peace with God through Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We might as well just take that sign down there that says hope. Apart from Jesus Christ bringing about peace with God. Apart from Jesus guiding us in the way of peace with God, everything that we do in this life is essentially fruitless and worthless. And apart from Jesus guiding us in the way of peace, 
with God, all we have to look forward to is eternal damnation in hell, which Scripture describes as eternal torment day and night forever and ever. So is peace with God, is that a big deal? Yeah, you bet it is. In fact, it's the most important deal. It's the most important thing. And as we look at the Christmas story, it tells us this is what Christ, His coming, is guiding us into, a peace with God, apart from which nothing else matters. Uh, I want to take a look at a few verses in Scripture which bring out this truth that hopefully will help us to really understand and make this truth concrete in our hearts and minds. In, in Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is our faith in Jesus Christ, as I've mentioned, in Him as Savior and King, then which brings about peace with God. Once again, the prophet Isaiah tells us this same truth. So let's take a look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I wish we could go through all of Isaiah 53. It's an amazing chapter in Scripture. But let's just look at verses 4 through 6 here. And it says, Surely he, talking about Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, Jesus Christ, was peered for our, pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Are you, are you catching the weight of this scripture here? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, do you get the picture of what Isaiah is saying here? Prophesying to an event that would happen hundreds of years in advance of when he prophesied this about Jesus and His coming and how His coming guides us into the way of peace with God. He says that happens as Jesus Christ takes upon us, takes upon Himself the punishment, the chastisement that we all deserve. That is how Jesus is guiding us in the way of peace with God. Uh, Another uh, New Testament passage that makes this very clear is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So let me read that for us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this baby boy that's born into the manger, who's coming that we celebrate every year at Christmas time, came to guide us into the way of peace with God the Father. And he secures that peace, Paul says here in Colossians 1, by the blood of his cross, by taking the chastisement, the sins, 
that we have upon himself in dying in our place, therefore bringing about peace with God. That's a big deal. That's important. We could stop there and say, amen. What an amazing thing. But there are a couple other ways I want to um, tell us about how his coming guides us into the way of peace. So the, the second thing, or the second way that I want to uh, show us today of how his coming guides us into the way of peace is um, that his coming guides us in the way of peace with one another. And if we look at Ephesians 2, we'll see that Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, which was predominantly a Gentile people, is telling them about how Jesus' coming breaks down that barrier between the Gentiles and the Jews. And that's an important thing because the Gentiles and the Jews hated one another. They were bitter enemies for the most part with one another. They didn't want anything to do with one another. We think about the racial tensions that we have in our country today, and they are strong and they are deep. But they're nothing different than the church at Ephesus was experiencing back in that day, back in the day of Paul. And so here in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 16, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, talking about the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, Jesus guides us in the way of peace with one another, talking about those who put their trust in Jesus, talking about followers of Jesus Christ. And he guided the Gentiles and the Jews, into the way of peace, it says here, by his sacrifice on the cross. And he can do that very same today amongst those who are enemies, whether it be political enemies or or racial enemies. He can do that very same thing. Do you believe that? That's a message that our world needs to hear. That is a message that our world desperately needs to hear as we're being torn apart in many different directions right now. It's only through Jesus Christ and his coming to guide us into the way of peace. Paul, later on in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, tells us what that looks like. How does that happen, that he guides us in the way of peace with one another? So let me read to us uh, verses 31 and 32. 31 says, let, us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So here's what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus. God forgave you. When you were God's enemy, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you so that he could reconcile you to himself. When you hear the word reconcile, think about peace being made between two parties that are at enmity with one another. Two people who have something coming in between them that's keeping them apart. And it says here that as God forgave you because of Jesus, because of his perfect life and his death, and his burial and resurrection and ascension back to the Father, because of Jesus, God has brought the two enemies together into one, one person, one body. And he did that by forgiving them. They both experienced the incredible and wonderful grace of God in their lives, that forgiveness that only God can bring about. And so, for us, what that means is that as God has forgiven us, we get to forgive one another. Because the truth is, within the body of Christ, we don't always all get along, do we? In fact, as Joe has reminded us many times, that right now, because of this pandemic, even within the greater body of Christ, there's division. Churches who say, we don't care about masks. Churches that say, yes, you must wear a mask. And many other things like that that are dividing the body of Christ. But because God has forgiven us, we get to forgive one another. And to bring about what is dividing us, bring us back to one body. Just as we see here happened at the church in Ephesus, in other churches that we see in the New Testament Scripture. But not only that, I want to take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Because not only do we get to forgive one another, because God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus, but we get to take this message of peace with God and peace with one another out to those who don't even know God's peace. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We sang about that in one of the songs earlier. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, how? Through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you see what this is telling us? Through the coming of Jesus Christ, guiding us into the way of peace, peace with God, 
in peace with one another, the method that God has chosen to use is those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King, who have God's Word taking this message of peace as God's ambassadors to those around us who don't know God's peace yet, who do not yet experience God's peace in their life. So we have an incredible privilege. We have an incredible responsibility given to us that Paul clearly spells out here in 2 Corinthians 5, that we are God's ambassadors of that message of peace, that message of reconciliation with God. What an incredible privilege we have. And what better time of the year do we have an opportunity to take this message out, this message of peace, this message of hope to those around us who don't know hope that we have, that don't know the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. Does the world around us need hope right now? Yeah, more than ever. Does the world around us need peace right now? I think they do, more than ever. And we have that message. And we're called God's ambassadors to take that out to those around us. It's an incredible privilege, an incredible responsibility that we have. The third way that um, Christ's coming, His coming guides us into the way of peace is that His coming guides us in the way of peace within ourselves. Can anybody use peace within yourself right now? Has what has happened in this world around us in 2020, has that brought about any anxiety or fear or worries in your life? Yeah, it has for each and every one of us. Even to the point where, do I hug the person? What do I do? Do I do the elbow or the fist? You know, we have a lot of anxieties and worries and fears in our life that separate us even distance from one another, from our loved ones. I was talking to a gentleman earlier whose um, mother is elderly. She's in a home um, living in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I said, hey, have you gotten to... Actually, Guy asked him here. Guy asked him, have you gotten to go see your mother? And he said, well, we went up to Erie, Pennsylvania. Got to see my mom, but we had to stand outside. And there was this big barrier between us. And we got to spend a half hour talking to her. And that was our limit. And they, they said we couldn't see her anymore. This world today is different. And now more than ever, we need peace within ourselves. They can only come through Jesus Christ. So we see that his coming guides us in the way of peace within ourselves. I want to take a look at a couple verses which bring out this truth and will help explain it a little bit better. So let's take a look at Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. And here it says, do not be anxious about anything. That says it pretty clear right there, doesn't it? But in everything by prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known to God. And here's the promise for when we do that. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what this is telling us as, as we experience within ourselves fear and worry and anxiety, God says, bring that to me. Bring it before me in prayer. Bring it before me in thanksgiving. Submit that to my rule and reign in your life. And he says, if you do that, I promise you that I will leave you with my peace, that I will give you my peace, which surpasses all understanding, and it will guard your hearts and your minds, all because of Christ Jesus. Our hearts, the, the well of our emotions, God says, I'm going to guard your hearts with my peace if you just bring everything to me and submit humbly to me under my rule and reign with whatever emotions you're experiencing right now. God says, whatever thinking is going on in your mind, whatever is causing you to worry and have anxiety and be troubled, whatever thinking is happening there, he says, bring it to me. Lay it down at my feet under my rule and reign. And I will guard not only your hearts, but I will guard your minds with my peace, a promise from God. So we see that Jesus, in his coming, guides us into the way of peace within ourselves. Another passage that I believe clearly brings this out um, is found in John chapter 14. And here we find in John 14, Jesus, several days before he goes to the cross, talking with his disciples telling them that he's going to be leaving them shortly, in a couple days. And they were full of anxiety and fear and worry. What are we going to do without Jesus? And so within that context, Jesus says this in John 14, verse 25, starting with verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to be leaving you. But I'm not going to be leaving you all by yourselves. I'm going to be leaving you with the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And He will remind you of why I came, to guide you in the way of peace. He will remind you, hadn't happened yet, of Jesus' death on the cross, securing their way of peace. He says, the peace that I'm giving you isn't like the peace that the world gives you because you see the peace that the world has to offer is all built on circumstances. If everything's going okay, if everything's going right, if everything is working out the way that you think it should in life, then you'll find peace. That's the peace that the world has to offer. But I think we all know that that's not how life works, is it? Not everything turns out the way we think it should turn out. Not all the circumstances of life work out in our favor. 
So Jesus says, I'm going to leave you a better peace than this world has to offer. I'm going to leave you my peace. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That was not only for his disciples that he was talking to at that time, but it's for his disciples who are here even today. What an incredible promise and message of peace Jesus gives to his disciples, gives him his very own peace. Now, taking that to the next step, we find that uh, because of our identity in Christ, because of who we are in Christ, we can experience God's peace in the midst of any and all situations. How cool is that? In the midst of any and all situations, we get to experience God's peace. But it's only because of Jesus Christ and how God identifies us with His Son. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says here, For our sake, He, talking about God the Father, made Him, talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So this is what it's saying here. The one who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us, and in this great exchange, gave us his righteousness, his right standing before God the Father. And so what this is telling us is that when God looks upon us, He sees His Son in all His righteousness. The Son who lived the perfect life. The Son who makes it very clear, if you read through the Gospels, that everything He did, He did for the Father. He only spoke the words that the Father gave Him. He only did the things that the Father wanted Him to do. And live that perfect life of righteousness. And now, he takes him sin, his, our sin upon himself. The one who knew no sin. And he gives us his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he sees his son in all his righteousness. There's no greater truth. Because we know the reality of our lives. Our lives are not perfectly righteous. We know what our th- the thoughts are that goes on in our mind. I know what happens when, I, when I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off. I know what I'm thinking about that person. And if my family's in the car, they know what I'm thinking about that person because I verbalize it. And it's not good and it's not right. But when God looks upon me, He sees the righteousness of His Son. And I can experience this peace within myself as I repent and turn back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you guys relate to what I'm talking about? We know what our thoughts are. We know what our actions are. We know what our emotions are when when they run away from us. But God, when he looks upon us, sees his son in all his righteousness and sees us as holy and blameless and spotless. What an incredible truth. 1 John 2.1 says this, 
my little children, John writing here says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate is kind of a legal term and puts Jesus in the place of a lawyer who's standing between us and God the Father and says, if anyone does sin, I think there's a little tongue-in-cheek there because he knows that we're all sinners and that because we have a sinful nature, we live our lives by sinning. But if anyone does sin, we have that advocate, that lawyer between us and God continually pleading our case because of who he is and what he did. I hope that brings peace to you within your lives because Jesus is there pleading on our behalf constantly as our advocate, as our lawyer before the Father saying, remember, when you look upon them, you see my righteousness. Let's take this a little bit further. In Romans chapter 8, it will be up on the board, but Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer experience the condemnation of God in our lives. Not because of who we are, but all because of Jesus Christ. And then later on in Romans 8, verse um, 33, says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's us. It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Here we get that picture again. Who shall, and then later on it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, and we could add nowadays, or pandemic, or racial tension, political tension, we could go on and on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What this is telling us is that during these dark times that we're living in, during these troubling times that we're experiencing right now with the pandemic and with all those other things we've talked about, Nothing is going to separate us from God's love. Nothing at all. Because of Christ Jesus our Lord. How beautiful is that? When we say that there's nothing that can overcome his name, this is what the Bible is making very clear to us. Nothing can overcome the name of Jesus because he's done it all for us. He's brought about peace with God. He's brought about peace with one another. And he gives us peace within ourselves. And he tells us that we have the privilege of being ambassadors, taking that message of peace 
to all those around us who God has placed in our lives. So we see here in Scripture that at Jesus' first coming, he came. We have a picture of it right here in the nativity. Born in a manger, a lowly birth, lived his life as a humble servant, died his death on the cross without even saying anything to those who were, were um, putting him to death. But we have a promise for his second coming, and it looks a whole lot different. And in his second coming, Jesus will guide his people into a full and complete and eternal peace. Can we use that full and complete and eternal peace? Yeah, because even though Jesus' first coming guides us in the way of peace, we, we live in a fallen world as sinful people in a fallen world. And we don't fully experience that peace that Jesus' first coming came to guide us into. But in his second coming that we look forward to, that even as we celebrate here his first coming, we celebrate and long for that second coming. In his second coming, he brings about a full and complete and eternal peace. And he does it in a different way. Let's take a look at Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And we'll see a little bit different picture here. It reads like this. Then I saw heaven opened. The Apostle John here. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Talking about Jesus Christ. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. It's a little bit different picture than that humble servant coming to die on the cross. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So you see, when Jesus returns again, his second coming, he's coming in a whole different way. Not as that lowly servant. Thank God he came in that way in his first coming. But he's coming as a mighty warrior to take care of every last enemy. To bring about for us a complete and full and eternal peace. I can't wait to see this picture of this mighty warrior riding on his white horse, followed by many other warriors on their white horses, bringing about for us that thing that we long for in our lives, a full and complete and eternal peace. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for Jesus 
we thank you that his coming guides us in the way of peace. Most importantly, peace with you about and from which nothing else matters. But we also saw from your word that he, his coming guides us in the way of peace with one another that we so greatly need. And that his coming guides us within to give us peace within ourselves. And so we just lift up that name. We sing that name. We proclaim that name of Jesus Christ. That this whole world gets to see during this season. Please use us as your ambassadors to take that message of peace to the world around us that they too may know this peace that you've so graciously bestowed upon us. May his name be made great. May you be glorified. And as I pray, in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
My prayer for you this week is that not only will you experience the love of Jesus in powerful ways, but it would move you to give thanks and that you would express your love for him, not just by showing up here on a Sunday, but by celebrating his goodness, being thankful every day this week. One of the things that I'm so thankful for is these people right back here. Just the, the blessing they are. Um, I, I thank God for their service. I thank God for, I thank God for the mandolin today. That was just beautiful, you know. Uh, and I thank God for you, my River family. And every time I think of you, I'm just going to keep giving thanks because you're beautiful. You're beautiful to God. You're beautiful in this broken world that needs the gospel of Jesus. So go giving thanks. Praise His holy name. And my prayer for you is that you will have an incredibly blessed season of giving thanks to God. God bless you. We'll see you soon.